0: Now hear this. I'm Rob, and I'm Nate, and welcome back to Rob and Nate Record a Podcast. This is week two of our War. War Movies theme month, and I managed to surprise Nate with tonight's selection. We watched the 1957 "The Enemy Below," starring Robert Mitchum and Kurt Jurgens. Kurt Jergens' American film debut. You know that before he was Kurt
1: Jurgens, he was pre collagulated Jurgens.
0: <laughs> wow! <laughs> and here I was, like, ready to actually go into the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It puts you off your game. Yeah. This movie also, I wanted to just make mention was uh, directed by Dick Powell.
0: Yeah, who
1: was a musical comedy star.
0: Yeah, also had his- uh,
1: had a television show that Dick Powell presents or Dick Powell Theater. He was married to both Joan Blondell and June Allison.
0: I was going to mention when you look at Dick Powell's filmography, his directorial credits are not what he's known for. In fact, when you look at his full filmography, he only directed a total of seven films. He was an actor and a lot more. He directed in 1959, The Joan Crawford Show, 1958, a movie called The Hunters. Uh, this film, 1956, he directed You Can't Run Away From It, and The Conqueror, and in 1953, he directed Split Second, and his original, his first directed film was the 1951 Cry Danger. Not a lot of directorial credits. No. Have you seen this movie before, Nate? I've not. Yeah? I've seen parts of this before, but I, I think this is the first time I've seen it in its entirety. Mm-hmm. I've seen that section in the middle where they're tracking him a couple of times, but I'd never seen the conclusion as far as I can recall, so... What are your first impressions well, of this we movie? Well, we should say what this movie's about. Yes, why don't you? Do you want to give the plot? I'll give you a brief uh, plot
1: overview. So, uh, Robert Mitchum is uh, Captain Merrill, Merrill. He is recently assigned to this ship in the uh, middle of the Atlantic Ocean. I forget what type of ship it was. It's not it's a, a destroyer. It's a destroyer. And uh, the crew is not very familiar with him, they know that his previous command was sunk. That killed among others his wife, who he was trying to. I don't think the crew actually
0: knows that. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, the the his the and does. the doctor, yeah, yeah, they learned that. But uh, his previous ship sank, and he was adrift for like twenty five days before he was rescued. And then he was only like three weeks in recuperation before they put him on this boat. And so there's this feeling: is is he ready to be captaining again? And they're sailing along and they encounter this uh, submarine and the film is basically a uh, standoff between the two ships trying to kind of wait each other out and see if they can uh, sink each other and this conflict of wills between the two captains of course Robert Mitchum playing the captain of the American Destroyer and Mr. Jurgens playing Captain Von Stolberg, Stolberg. captain of the submarine who is a good German he is not a fan of the Hitler, but he's doing his, his best. And that's basically what the film is about, is those two. And then, of course, it eventually ends when both ships are
0: destroyed in a final showdown. We'll get more into it later, but they actually filmed three different endings for this oh. film. And then, based on reactions from audiences, they selected the one that they went with. Hmm. So we'll get into that when we get into it the trivia, though. It be
1: interesting to see the others.
0: It would be interesting. might have to go back and see if there is... Because the
1: ending is the thing I liked most about this film.
0: My understanding is this is based on an actual battle, but there was also a book that was written that served as the basis book that the screenplay was adapted from. There was a novel by D.A. Rayner, who writes as Commander D.A. Rayner, and that's the book it was based on was a, or a book from him was what it was based on and then Wendell Mays wrote the screenplay for this yeah you have Russell Collins plays the doctor who some might recognize so
1: yeah he's kind of got a distinctive look to him you know this is a film full of unremarkable looking white people and um, do we want to talk about I guess my reactions as we were going sure. to go into that yeah and you picked up on some of this from the amount of Mst3kane. I was doing at least in the early part of the film. So I found this film deeply boring. Did you? I did. I, I and I didn't find anybody very interesting. They all they kind of blended in. I think it picks up in the second half, and there are certain things in the second half I like. I I do like the ending, the sequence where the Germans are down there in their sub at the bottom of the ocean. They're trying to to convince the Americans that they're fine when they're starting to crack. And so they play that music real loud, so it will uh, show up on the sonar. And the one officer's like, oh, they're having a ball down there. On the hydrophone, yeah. And uh, the captain's like, no, I don't think they are. I think they're trying to fool us. And that shot where they're just kind of waiting them out, and the one black person on the ship who's uh, like a cook has got a pool, uh, fishing pool. It fishing looks like pool. a bamboo fishing Yes, pool. it looks a little too south stereotypical and he's trying to fish and then the camera pans down. We follow the the pool, we follow the line, we go deep down and then we see the submarine sitting on the bottom of the ocean trying to wait him out. And that is the best visual in, in the film. Yeah. And again, the kind of complicated ending with the with the ship's kind of tricking each other and then running into each other and then well, really so trying to salvage, every, you know, get
0: I everybody... Mean, these captains everybody. have come to respect each other, and they're trying to outsmart each other when they're realizing that the other person's already outsmarting them. This is really from the, the old officers with the strong mutual respect school yes. of, of war. Yeah, and so the German officer has finally figured out a little bit of a pattern from, from Captain Morell. And so he's able to hit him with one torpedo. And Captain Morell is taking advantage of the time it's going to take the German U-boat to surface to basically bait them. And uses his boat as his final weapon and, and rams the U-boat after shooting it with a couple of shells. Yeah, they they've basically already assured each other's direct destruction. And then Captain Morell rams the U-boat to guarantee that it's going to go down. And we find that the U-boat
1: has some kind of a translation device some kind of a they were
0: on their way to pick up a tra- they were meeting he calls it a uh, von stolberg calls it they're going to s to meet something to get a code book to bring back to germany and if they can get it back then they get to go home so that's why they're so bent on you know their mission and yeah
1: and the film really tries to humanize uh von stolberg with his anti nazism and and how you know, he's, he's, a, he's an excellent captain both as a strategist and in terms of keeping the morale of his crew up because when he plays that music, and a lot of people are like, oh, they're going to hear us. No, it's like people need to hear this. And everybody starts to sing this song. It's some kind of song that if you were a German at that time, you'd know, and it's kind of a rouser. And that's a great little moment for him. But I also felt the whole thing was kind of kind of forced you think so? Yeah, I felt... I found... Sometimes th- that kind of... They're both... They're, you know, that the, they're the
0: two captains and they have this mutual... Sometimes that works. Yeah, it worked okay. This worked for me. Like, I was... Even, I understand your point of the tempo being slow in the middle. And the beginning. Yeah, but I think that was necessary to convey, like, the type of battle that this was. and And I found it relatively captivating throughout the movie. And I actually quite enjoyed this. We should talk about the movie
1: that this isn't, which is Run Silent, Run Deep, Mm -hmm. which does something similar
0: a lot better. Which, interestingly enough, this has a higher aggregate score on IMDb than Run Silent, Run Deep. That's wrong. So I'm pretty sure I will double-check. Early in the film... Yeah, uh, Run Silent, Run Deep has an aggregate score on IMDb of 7.3 stars, and this has an IMDb aggregate score of 7.4. Wow. Uh, I, I slightly yeah, I strongly disagree. Early in the film,
1: the, uh, one of the crew members refers to their new captain as a feather merchant. Yeah. And they use that phrase over and over again. So I'm like, that's got to mean something. So I googled feather merchant, and it is a phrase that is used to refer to one in a position that involves little effort or responsibility, or that calculatingly evades effort or responsibility. Later on, this same officer is uh, heard to say, "He's no feather merchant." Yes, as he wins over the crew, which is a similar dynamic. His strategizing. A similar dynamic to Clark Gable in Run uh, Silent, Run, Silent Run, 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 Deep. Run Deep, where he's he's new, he's new on the boat, or in this case, on the sub, and he has to win. Or uh, boat, and he has to win win them over, win over his crew.
0: Yeah, I, I do agree with you that Run Silent, Run Deep is the superior film of, but you know, if you were comparing the two head to head. But I thought this worked quite well. It won me over. I enjoyed, especially the way it ended. Yeah, I enjoyed. I mean, and this really is Robert Mitchum and Kurt Jurgens, and I enjoyed both of those performances. So, this had a estimated budget of 1.9 million dollars okay. in 1957. I'm not seeing any box office returns on it, though. You want to make any other comments before I dive into some of the trivia? Ah, uh, let's do trivia. So. In an interview in July 1977 with the New York Times, Kurt Jürgens, who played the German submarine commander, said, "This was an important picture for me because it was the first time, the first film after the war, in which a German officer was not interpreted as a freak." That scene early on, where
1: uh, they they wake him up when they're encountering the the ship above them, and he kind of goes up in bed real quick. And my my immediate thought was, ah. I, I dreamed I was in a movie with Ingrid Bergman because he'd be with her in the end of the sixth happiness the following year. Oh, yeah. This yeah. is what I knew him from.
0: Yeah. In real life, the destroyer USS Bori DD-215 rammed U-boat U-405 and sank it. The Bori was severely damaged and could not be sa- salvaged and sank the next day. The crew was rescued by another vessel. One of the technical consultants working on this movie was an individual named Albert Beck, who was a former German U-boat submarine sailor who advised on the submarine scenes. The actual boat used in this film is a U.S. destroyer escort, USS Whitehurst. It's not an actual destroyer. Its designation was DE-634, and it was sunk as a target for a new torpedo in 1971. Oh, I guess I said earlier that three endings for this were shot. Apparently it was only two. In one, both commanders die. In the other, a third vessel rescues them. The final ending was determined by preview results. The USS Haines was in actuality the USS Whitehurst, captained by Walter R. Smith, who received a technical advisor credit and can be seen playing the ship's chief engineer. Eva Novak can be seen in a photo as the wife of Von Stolberg. I'm going to jump back, and then I'll come back to the trivia. This movie was nominated for one Oscar. Any guesses what it was? Uh,
1: Something technical?
0: Yes, it was Best Effects, Special Effects. It was the only Oscar it was nominated for. And the reason I mention that is that this movie represents one of a select group of World War II submarine movies that have won the single Academy Award in a technical category. That's just only the, uh, the one Oscar in either special effects or sound editing. The others are Ca- Crash Dive, 1943, The Enemy Below, 1957, Torpedo Run, 1958, and U-571 uh, in 2000. The Hunt for Red October, 1990, also won just the one Oscar, as did the World War II part sub-movie 49th Parallel from 1941, but for Best Original Story. The uh, cast
1: of this uh, movie is debated in the 1995 film Crimson Tide. Really? This is coming from Wikipedia. The other interesting Wikipedia trivias, uh, taken taken over your territory, was the Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea episode, Killers of the Deep, reused substantial amounts of footage from the film. David Hedison, then Al Hedison, who played Lieutenant Ware, the executive officer of the Haines also played Commander Lee Crane on Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Also, the 1966 Star Trek episode Balance of Terror is closely based on the film with the USS Enterprise cast as the Destroyer and the Romulan vessel using a cloaking device as the U-boat.
0: I can see that. The reason, part of the reason I mentioned the, these awards thing, the alternate film that I was considering for tonight was the 1981 film Das Boot, Now, Das Boot, I mentioned all these other films, submarine films, World War II submarine films, that were only nominated uh, for one Oscar. How many Oscars was Das Boot nominated for? Uh, Four? Six. Wow. So, which was why I was leaning so hard on Das Boot for a long time. But ultimately, you kind of, you actually told me you didn't want to watch Das Boot on the podcast because of its length. So, I steered away from it because of that. The entire movie takes place over a 24-hour period. I'm not sure if you caught that. Okay. Oh, I forgot to mention this to you while the movie was running. The captain calls a conference of all the officers and chiefs in the wardroom, you know, mm-hmm. when he's explaining the strategy to them. At the left rear of the wardroom, there is a chief in blue clothing with a a blue May West life preserver on. It is Daryl F. Zanuck, who at the time was the head of 20th Century mm-hmm. Fox Studios. That's funny. Yeah. So the U-boat seen in this film is far roomier and more spacious, cleaner and tidier than the real German U-boats of World War II, which were more realistically depicted in the later movie Das Boot. And Das Boot actually, as I did some research, found the blueprints for the U-boat and actually commissioned a boat to be built for the movie. And apparently the U-boats, in actuality, you could reach out with both arms and touch either side of the boat. During the Second World War, these subs did not have passageways and private rooms and were dirty and cramped. This can be seen uh, firsthand in in the U-505 on display in the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago. Since the U-boat's head, or toilet, could not be used at depth, the crew was forced to use buckets, which during depth-charge attacks frequently spilled. It was said that when a U-boat returned to base, the smell inside the boat was strong enough to make dock workers vomit. So they called them, as a nickname, U-Boats. Wow. Oh, the tune sung by the U-Boat crew between the one-per-hour depth-charge attacks is from an 18th-century march called Der Dasur Marsch, a popular song that's also known by the first line of lyrics, So lieben wir, the translation of which is That's How We Live. A bit of trivia about the USS Buckley. The lead ship of the USS Whitehurst belonged to... On April 22, 1944, she joined Hunter-Killer Task Group 21.11, TG21.11, for a sweep of the North Atlantic and Mediterranean convoy routes. On the morning of May 6, aircraft from the escort carrier Block Island, CVE-21, reported an enemy submarine near Buckley. She steamed towards the surface submarine evading her torpedoes and gunfire and commenced firing at 0328 so 328 in the morning buckley rammed the german submarine u66 and then backed off shortly thereafter the submarine struck buckley opening a hole in the vessel's starboard side hand to hand combat ensued between the crew members of the two combatants on buckley's foredeck involving among other weapons coffee mugs and shell casings the u66 drew astern of buckley and sank at 0341 after hand grenades were dropped down its hatch. So I believe that's the battle that this was actually based on. Uh, According to Robert Osborne, Robert Mitchum fell down one of the ship's gangways while shooting and was severely injured, uh, and it required him to wear a back brace for the rest of the uh, the filming. Also, some depth charges fired from the Navy destroyer used in the film were accidentally launched at the same time, causing damage to the ship's rudder and its hull. The source novel... In the source novel, the ship is a British Navy vessel called the HMS Hecate, and its commander here, named John Morell, and played by Robert Mitchum, is an English captain.
1: You know, they were originally going to, uh, you know, keep that, but then they decided that American film, American audiences. Hecate will change the name of the boat.
0: Oh, I guess the the book shares the same name, The Enemy Below. Okay. I guess a lot of German naval officers did not consider themselves to be Nazis, but Germans. All right. So. Yeah, I think that's enough trivia for today. So apparently, Nate just does not like World War II Navy films.
1: You have not, at least not on the Atlantic Theater. You know, when you think of the Navy in World War II, you think of the Pacific Theater. But obviously, there was stuff going on in the Atlantic Theater. But in terms of uh, filmic representation on this podcast, both this and Greyhound
0: left me rather cold. Yeah. So apparently, I need to only show This is show a better you.
1: film than Greyhound.
0: I would agree with that, though I still think you were overly harsh on Greyhound, and it was a better film than you gave it credit for being. Which leads us to, how would you rate this film?
1: I'm going to give this film two stars. Much of the film, I was thinking one and a half. Really? But I think the ending pulled it up uh, a half star. I'm going to give it four on the ten star scale.
0: Seriously? Yeah. Wow, I'm, I'm quite surprised by that. I would give this probably three and seven Wow. I mean, maybe you could argue it's a two and a half, but yeah, on the 10-star scale, I'd give it a seven. That's a fairly significant
1: disagreement for us. We're usually not quite that far apart.
0: Which we it. have had similar... We've had such disagreements before, but they're not common for us. Mm-hmm. And it comes down to, don't show Nate World War II Navy movies in the Atlantic theater. Because he doesn't like any of them. Wow. The only submarine movie I know that you like, for sure, was Run Silent, Run Deep, which was in the Pacific. Mm. Or in the, uh, yeah, in the Pacific... So, I may have to readjust some of my plans because I'm. Well, <laughs> you're one of your. We're next homework, cancel
1: the North Atlantic.
0: Uh, well, one of month. your next homework assignments is going to be Das Boot, oh, and okay. so I'm curious to see how you react to Das Boot. And Das Boot is supposed to be, from everything I've read so far, is supposed to be a superior film to this. Oh, okay. But I will give it to you in such a manner that you can split it up if you like, and yeah, instead of sitting here for is it two and a half or three hours. It's, it's quite a long movie either way mm-hmm. and it's not well, it's not so much the length uh, that I was concerned with but the the Germanness. And you told me you didn't want to watch it for well, the podcast because of its length
1: seeing, seeing it at a distance on the TV, you know, I, I don't have the best sight for some of the text but yeah and then part of me is also kind no, of like so if das I see Boobies it I, I want to see the
0: uh, so Das Boob, they when they filmed it they, did they dub it they filmed it without sound Okay, and then they went in and and recorded both German and English for it so it's in English that's it I did not know that yeah yes see I have done my research for tonight I did a lot of comparisons between these two films so and everything I wanted to show you Das Boot but you said you didn't want to watch Das Boot so at least not on a podcast movie night so Yeah. yeah well I suppose that's it for tonight and I guess I failed I don't I know. So. It's I don't know. It's it's war movies. Like, I I fulfilled the criteria, so it did. Yeah, I'm Rob. I'd be Nate. And this is Rob and Nate record a podcast. <whistles> it helps if you have it near the mic when you start it. Now hear this. Welcome back to Rob and Nate record a podcast. That's what you wanted me to do, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. Well, we would do that. Now hear this. Okay, I'm Rob.
0: Oh, I missed. I'm Robin. Yeah. All right, one more try. One more try. Uh, first levels. What about levels? It? Yes. Levels seal level, level. seal. Why do you think you don't like Navy movies in the Atlantic?
1: I don't know. Maybe I just haven't liked these two.
0: You saw a U-571, right? No, I've never seen it. What was the other submarine one? Oh, no, that's a different setting.
1: Hmm. Same Crimson Tide. I've seen Hunt for in October.
0: Yeah, different and you Tide. like those, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You just don't like World War Two submarines in the Atlantic. Yeah. Or Navy in the Atlantic, uh, period. I well,
1: don't we'll want them into
0: the Pacific ocean that that's that is intriguing, like the two that I've shown you, Greyhound and this. You don't like either one. Yeah. I was kinda of, I couldn't tell for sure if you liked this or not at at first, so mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Well, I got more into it because my quipping was uh decreased in the in the second half.
0: Yeah. Which reminds me, what was the quip we were talking about at dinner that was gonna be our outtake? Can't remember. Was it something you texted
1: me? Oh, yeah. I watched uh, that uh, DVD of... Oh, yeah. Yeah. That came in the Mystery Bundle. And by watched, I mean it was on. Not that I necessarily paid a ton of attention to it, uh, but my uh, I had the logistical questions about how the Tia Kiari character was able to uh, hold down a full-time professorship at a rather fancy looking university and still leave to go all around the world on adventures and how she's an archeologist, but she's like 31 years old, but she's really respected, but she doesn't appear to have any particular focus in her archeology span because she's in South America and then she's in Indonesia. She goes to Romania and she's just running around doing these things. And it's like, well, how on earth is she afford does she afford to do this? Like these aren't long-term digs. She's got to go to class. And, you know, I'm sure she's a popular professor on campus, not necessarily for her teaching, but I'm sure she has, hey, Rick, why are you in this Introduction to Archaeology class? Aren't you a finance major? Yeah, have you seen the teacher? Uh, the one that I kind of buy is the one where they're in Hawaii because she's there for her high school reunion, but I did not buy the fact that she was alone at a high school reunion and nobody wanted to talk to her. She'd have been very popular. I this haven't is, seen Ralph Hunter, so I have no clue what you're talking cheesy, about. Cheesy cheesy Xena warrior princess kind of just wannabe say, thing. It sounds kinda
0: like a uh, Indiana Jones. Lara Croft
1: wannabe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it it I I I feel like it changed it up just enough not to be sued by the Lara Croft people. Yeah. But you had this and um, Pamela Anderson had something like this in the early, I think it was called She Spies. There was a lot of these uh, cheesy adventure syndicated shows in the '90s that were built around an attractive female, an attractive female lead, yeah. No, and uh, contained very little substance. So, how would you write Relic Hunter? Uh, Relic Hunter's bad. <laughs> I mean, it's it's yeah, it's bad. Is it worse than this? <laughs> would I watch this or two episodes of Relic Hunter? probably go with Relic Hunter if I'm honest. Seriously?
0: You really didn't yeah. like this. Man. I thought you I thought you would go for this. Robert Mitchum, nineteen fifty seven, World War II. Yeah. Maybe you know, I thought I, I thought I had the pieces assembled. Robert Mitchum's kind of an interesting guy. He as an actor,
1: I mean he had a type that wasn't particularly interesting. But if you see him in interviews, he's like really kind of dry and urbane and debonair and well read and he is not like the really kind of simple characters that he he played on the screen which is the, probably my favorite thing about robert Mitchum is that
0: dichotomy it's like this pays the bills but this is not who i am yeah i thought of another world war ii navy film i've shown you or involving a navy but it was in the pacific and you liked it father goose Father Goose, true yeah so it's you have something against the Navy and the Atlantic in World War II. I know that they're the ocean. The ocean is cold.
1: But I have this idea in my head that it's not so cold in the Pacific. That the okay. Atlantic is just cold. Yeah. And I know it's nonsense talk. Though uh, a lot of the conflict in the Pacific theater was more in the equatorial zone, which would have been warmer water. And I just think of the Atlantic as cold.
0: Yeah, well, Even at least the North the, Atlantic, especially. Yeah. Mm. So, but this was we this specifically told us it was closer to the equator because it yeah. was so hot.
1: Well, and they talk so. about how he how uh, Mitchum had been up in the North Atlantic before, and they do have that conversation about.
0: Yeah. It's like oh, mm-hmm. wars are
1: always set in a place where it's either too cold or too hot.
0: Yep. And then he takes his salt pill. Mm. Yeah. Have you ever taken a salt pill? I don't think so. Yeah basically forces you to retain some water mm. so